It was, it was December 26, 1955, when Theodore Geisel stood and looked in his mirror, and he didn't really like what he saw. It was, it was the aftermath of a, a busy holiday season, a, a busy Christmas. And he was frustrated. Felt like something was missing. He felt like something was lost. And as he, as he thought about that, and as he pondered that, he, he looked in the mirror and what he saw in the facial expression, he could only describe it as this. Grinch. And Theodore Geisel, also known as Dr. Seuss, would over the next few weeks, he would, he would write a book. It was a book about the, the lost aspect of Christmas, the over-commercialization of this holiday season. And he would write this book, How the Grinch Soul Christmas. I want to talk to you this morning on a similar topic. I want to talk to you about how the Grinch stole the baby Jesus. It's interesting when, 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 when Dr. Seuss wrote, he wrote this in his Seussian way. Fahu forus, dahu doris. Welcome Christmas. Come this way. Fahu forus, dahu doris. Welcome Christmas, Christmas Day. He, uh, he spoke of something simple, right? Welcome, welcome, Fahu Ramas, welcome, welcome, Dahu Damas. Christmas Day is in our grasp. So long as we have hands to clasp. No doubt in 1955, he wondered how we had drifted so far. So Christmas Eve, 1956, was the first release of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Ten years later, we were introduced to the voice of the Grinch, Boris Karloff. And it became part of our, part of our Christmas tradition. And a great reminder of how easy it is to, to lose focus. How easy it is to forget this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. Of the increase of his government there shall be no end. Right? For unto us a child is born. I, I, love, I love the words that God speaks through the prophet Isaiah there in Isaiah 9. And, and I, I especially appreciate where he says, And his name will be called. Christmas. Christ Mass. The celebration of Christ. 
Make no mistake, that's what Christmas is. That's what Christmas is all about. I, I heard a, uh, um, an interview this week where somebody talked about that Christmas would be wonderful if it weren't for all of this religious aspect to it. Christ Mass. It's easy, let me say this. It's easy to take Christ out of Christmas when you don't have a healthy understanding of who Jesus is. And the reason why we live in a time in history when there is such a vast misperception of Jesus is because we live in a world where people have made Christ in their image. The, the religious community has used the name of Jesus as a battering ram. Those who stand in opposition to Christianity have used the name of Jesus as a target. The secular world has used the name of Jesus as an exclamation, as a profanity. And in that, that the name of Jesus has been lost somehow. We, we, we sing a worship chorus here that I love and it says this, isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? There's an old hymn, Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, and, and one of the one of the lines of that great old hymn of the church, it says this, Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. It's music to the sinner's ear. It's life and health and peace. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. What I want to do this morning for just a few moments, I, I want to unpack this name of Jesus. I want to unpack what it means. And his name shall be called Wonderful. In, in Jesus, in, in this gift that God gives us, and we see this laid out in, in, in the prophecy of Isaiah 9. And his name shall be called Wonderful. I, I, wanted to, I want to talk this morning for just a few moments. I want to talk about these, these five gifts that God gives in the giving of Jesus. And, 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 and I want you to grasp this. When, when, when God gave, for God so loved the world that he gave. Right? But God did not just give his son. He gave the only begotten. But understand this, that before the foundation of the world, Jesus was. John 1.1 1, 1 says this. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh. Logos became Messiah. Jesus has always existed. He always will exist. In, in, in giving Jesus, God's son, God himself becomes mankind and dwells among us. And he does so in order to be that perfect sacrifice. 
God gives himself so mankind might be redeemed, so that mankind might have relationship with him and fellowship with him. And his name shall be called Wonderful. And the first thing that we learn in, in, in this, this description of the name of Jesus is this, that in the giving of Jesus, God gives us the gift of worship. Now that might, on the surface, if you don't truly understand worship, in fact, if all you do is you connect with distortions. And I mentioned this last week. I actually unpacked it a little bit more in the, in the Tuesday morning Bible studies that we have with, with, with the men. And, and, and men, let me tell you, uh, if you haven't joined us at 7 a.m. on Tuesday mornings for our men's Bible study, I would encourage you to make that a highlight of your calendar. It is an absolutely worthwhile time. And Anyway, we, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago uh, in the men's Bible study. We talked about the fact that, that God is the creator of everything. Okay? Everything that we have has been created from God. What we, what, what we have that is done in an earthly fashion, it's adaptations of the creation that God has given us. The unhealthy things that we have, Satan does not have the ability to create. So what Satan has the ability to do is distort. Let me say that again. Satan does not have the ability to create. Satan only has the, the ability to, to distort. And so the things that you see that are unhealthy, that are unholy in the world, those are not things that Satan has created. That's where Satan has, has taken God's creation and he has distorted it. And there's even an element of this issue of worship where worship, what it's designed to be, has been distorted. And so the worship that we have of created things, the worship that we have of individuals, the worship that we have of people, what it does is it gives us a mistaken understanding of what worship truly is. And when God calls us to worship him, here's what worship is, friends. Worship is, it's a focused connection to, it's a focused adoration of. Worship is not simply a song, it's not simply a sacrifice, but what it is, is it's a focused connection, it's a focused adoration, and in that, God gives us this wonderful thing called worship. That's the reason why you will notice this, that throughout history, woven throughout the Bible, we find that worshipers were involved in every great battle. Why were worshipers involved in every great battle? Because there's something that happens, there's something significant that happens, there's something supernatural that happens in a connection of worship. And when God gave us this issue of worship, what he gave us is he gave us this wonderful connection with himself. And, and here's what worship involves. Worship involves a sense of wonder. Worship is connecting with something that in the natural we could not connect with, that in the natural we could not understand. Worship also involves warfare. Right? At the name of Jesus, the demons of hell have to flee. It is interesting to me that you see this. Here's an example. So when, 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 they, when they went to Elisha the prophet and they said, listen, we, we need you to give us information on what's going on. He said, uh, call a harpist. And in that atmosphere, in that expression of, of worship, the prophet was able to discern and know the plan of God, the mind of God, the will of God, what God was going to do in that moment. Over and over again, 
when, when God's people were going into battle, it was the worshipers that led the charge. Why? Because worship is an integral part of this issue of warfare. And worship is also, it's witness. And so this thing that God has given us, this, this wonderful opportunity to connect with him in a powerful way, here's what it says in, 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 in Titus. It says this, But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This gift that God has given us, the natural response to that is simply to stand in awe of an almighty God and make this declaration. God, truly there is none like you. And the fact that you being very God of very God, that you choose to have intimate relation, intimate connection, intimate understanding, intimate uh, appreciation, with us, we stand in awe of that, oh God. And, and truly, you are wonderful. There is, uh, there is so much that has been written on this idea of God. And this person, Jesus. And it's interesting to me how many people trip over this. And they trip over it because they can't, they can't get their mind around it. But let me help you, friend. There, there are things that are bigger than you. There are things that are more vast than the human mind can begin to comprehend or understand. And God, the creator of all that ever has been, ever is, or ever will be, is beyond human understanding. And Jesus, being very God, a very God, will never be able to be fully explained with human understanding. And so there will always be an element of this issue of Jesus that causes us to go, Wow. Oh, wow. And where we're at a loss for words. It's the reason why you'll find even, even, in, some, even in some worship courses, there, there are worship courses where you sing and it's, it's simply a, an, a, a, an ooh or an ah sound because there's no words that can, that can accurately reflect what the Spirit is experiencing in that moment. And, 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 and that's, what, that's, what, that's what God wants us to have connection with and connection with the Son. A, a connection with this thing that brings a, that brings a sense of wonder. And, and here's, here's what I appreciate about that. Is that sense of wonder does not have to dissipate. It does not have to go away. It's different than with, than with human connection. Do you remember the first time 
that you ever held that special someone's hand? Right? I can remember the first time I held Jody's hand. I can. I, I can remember it. I can also remember the first time that I ever kissed her. When I was a youth pastor, students would ask me when it, when it was acceptable to, to kiss, you know, and, and, and if, if, it was excess, excess, if it was acceptable to kiss when you were dating. And, and I, would, I would tell them emphatically, I want you to know I did not kiss my wife before we were married. Yeah, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? I did not tell them that she was not my wife before we were married. But then she was my girlfriend, and I did kiss her as my girlfriend. I'm just saying. Yeah. Jody and I, our first kiss, it was, it was, you're going to appreciate this, man. We had gone out to dinner. Drove down by the riverfront, down Moline, Illinois, Mississippi River, walking along the riverfront, holding her hand, fully panicked. <laughs> Found out later that she said, in her mind, she was going, seriously, dude, just kiss me already. <laughs> I... Um, I give my wife a kiss. I, I do not leave the house before giving my wife a kiss goodbye. First thing that I do when I get home, I, I go in, I give her a kiss, give her a hug. Um, it's, it's not as magical. Don't judge me. It, it still is meaningful but it's not as magical. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. Right? When, when, we're, when we're walking, when we get out of the car and we're walking into a store and I, I reach over and I take her hand, it still is meaningful. It's not as magical. <laughs> if we're not careful, what can happen is the same thing can take place in our, in our connection with God is in, in that our, our worship experience, it can be meaningful but it's very easy for it to lose the magic. And, and, and this, listen, this is what I want to offer you this morning. I want to offer you this. And, and the reason for that is we tend, to, we tend to correlate our heavenly relationship, our vertical relationship with our horizontal relationships. And the simple truth is this. Because of who God is and because of the character of God, worship has that opportunity it has that ability no matter how long you've been in the faith it has that ability to continue to have that magic in fact God wants you to experience the profound nature of who he is every time you connect with him and there's that opportunity for you if we if we truly understand Jesus and who he is. And his name shall be called Wonderful. When I, when I stop long enough, when I pause long enough 
to consider Jesus for who he really is, it still brings a sense of awe. It still brings a sense of awe and a sense of wonder. And and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. God's gift to us is not just worship. God's gift to us is also wisdom. I want to talk to you for a moment about wisdom. Because wisdom is another thing that, that, that the world and, the, and that the enemy are, of our faith loves to distort. And we walk in great confusion, somehow wanting to replace wisdom with intelligence. And wisdom and intelligence are two dramatically different things. Intelligence is knowing that something works. Wisdom is knowing why it works. Intelligence is cognitive ability. Wisdom is a depth in understanding. Intelligence, if left unchecked, will always produce arrogance. The Bible tells us that. It says that knowledge puffs up. Wisdom always produces humility. Always. It's the reason why it's interesting to me that we, we, well, it's interesting, not surprising, that we live in a world of arrogance. And, and, and listen, we live in a world of arrogance, and it's that world of arrogance and ignorance that's fueled by intelligence that creates anger. You would think that the more people know, the more that they understand, the more comfortable they would become. But that's not the case. The more intelligent that we become as a culture, the more angry we become as a culture, because what we've done is we've chased after knowledge and we've chased after intelligence instead of pursuing wisdom. And in in wisdom, I understand that it's not about me. In wisdom, I understand that it's far greater than me. And in wisdom, I know this. I know that God will consistently give me the answers to the questions that I need. Not always the answers to the questions that I want. Because there are times that God will say, my grace is sufficient for you. But all that I can understand, and, and I will tell you this, I, I have, I have, I've experienced this in my own role as a leader, as a father, and, and, and I work very diligently that when my children ask the question why, I want to explain to them, I want to give them an answer to the questions why. I always want to give them the reasons because in those moments, in those rare moments when they can't grasp the reasons, I want them to be able to trust the relationship and understand this, that our God is a God who will consistently speak to you about the reasons to where in those moments when it is far greater than your ability to understand, when in that sense of wonder, in that sense of awe, you're not going to be able to grasp what is far beyond you. That what you can do is is you can take reason as far as it will take you, but beyond that, you can trust the relationship because the relationship is true. And that's what wisdom allows me to do. Wisdom allows me to understand my role in this world. It allows me to understand God's role in this world. It allows me to understand what Jesus is, and that puts me in a place where I can walk humbly before my God.
intelligence convinces me that I'm entitled. Wisdom reminds me that I'm blessed. Intelligence tries to convince me that I become somebody. Wisdom causes me to know that I was made somebody. And it's in that what happens is this, is wisdom allows me to just, to breathe, to breathe. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. My God will supply my every need. He's my protector. He's my provider. Right? He's my comforter. He's my guide. He's my teacher. He's my friend. And he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. And so in the midst of all the craziness that's happening around me, I don't have to freak out. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you, O oh God, are with me. You walked in here today and you're, st you're stressed out. You're worried, you're full of anxiety. You're trying to figure it all out and there are, there are aspects of your life that don't make sense. There, there, there are these elements that you don't understand. And, and, and that, that lack of understanding has you stressed. And in fact, maybe stressed to the point that you're panicked. Well, here's what wisdom does. Wisdom helps me to understand that I don't have to know everything. I, I, I don't have to know everything. Right? And, and in those areas when I need wisdom, I, I love what, what James wrote in James chapter 1. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. Right? Wisdom. Here's, here's what I find. I find this. That, that wisdom produces humility. And humility is the gift that keeps me in a posture where I can hear from God. Wisdom. Most people succeed or fail not based on ability. Most success or failure can be accurately measured by the amount of wisdom that's brought into the situation. Just because I have the intellect to do something doesn't mean I should do it. Right? And we live, in a, we, live in a, we live in a world where knowledge is increasing. Intelligence is skyrocketing. But we live, I'm convinced of this, we live in a day and age where wisdom, wisdom is at extreme deficit. And the reason for that is because We've attempted to push Jesus to the periphery. And when we 
When we understand God for who he is and we understand the gift of Jesus for what it really is, it brings a sense of wonder, a sense of awe, recognizing who God is and who I am, which allows me then to live in this realm of of wisdom that keeps me grounded, confident, comforted, and contented. See, I know that I have everything that I need for life and godliness. So I don't have to chase after this. I don't have to chase after that. I know that God has a good plan for me. And so I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm going to get that promotion. I know that God protects me and guides me. So I don't have to worry about how I'm doing in in competition with my neighbor or my coworker or my brother. That's what wisdom does. That's what wisdom brings to a situation. And, and, And here's what happens. I can live in this, in this wisdom as, as, an out, as an outflow of a worshipful expression. I can walk in wisdom. Because this name Jesus, it doesn't just mean wonderful. It doesn't just mean counselor. It means almighty God. What's the gift in that? The gift in that is this. All I have needed, all you have needed, all we have needed, his hand has provided. He is the God that does supply. And so he's a God that that provides provision. And we we can live in that. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. It, it, the significance of that is found in the combination of those two words. Everlasting Father. He always has been, is, always will be. And the relationship to us is that of Father. Now, I want to point out two things to you. One, I want to, I want, I want to talk to you for a moment on a kind of a scholastic level, on a theological level. It's interesting that the name of the Son is Everlasting Father, isn't it? Okay? The name of the Son is Everlasting Father. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is giving. Right? Isn't that what the, what the beginning of that prophetic statement says? And then it says that part of his name is Everlasting Father. Now how is this? Understand, and this is, it's important for you to grasp this, that, that the reason for that is because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are the same God. We do not worship three gods. It is a Godhead three in one. Okay? And God the Father is always in, in the Son. God the Holy Spirit is always in the Father. They are, they, are, they are always mutually and completely connected. Now, here's, here's a little side note to that. People freak out over formulas. 
Okay? When I pray, should I pray to God the Father? Should I pray to, should I, should I pray to Jesus? Or should I pray to the Holy Spirit? In fact, I've heard people say this. You know what? The reason why your prayers aren't being answered is because you're praying to Jesus. And Jesus didn't tell you to pray to him. Jesus told you to pray to the Father in Jesus' name. That's just goofiness, friend. <laughs> All right? God doesn't get freaked out over you somehow working through some formulaic prayer. And if, if somehow your process isn't right, no, I'm sorry, that disqualified you. You did not check box 6B appropriately in your request for God to divinely intervene in your day, for God to step into your moment. And yet, Here's what happens. We love to, in the religious world, here's what we want. We want to be the people that are right. We want to be the people that our doctrine is that which is correct. Right? That our dogma is what you should embrace. And so our process, our system is right. By the way, that other church, their process, their systems are wrong. This is exactly, precisely how you should do it. And here's what God says. Just stop. Because when you, when you get to that place, the focus is on the process and not on the person of God. Then what happens is we become very religious, but not very connected. And in fact, we become what Jesus referred to when he called the Pharisees, you bunch of whitewashed sepulchers. You look really good on the outside. You've, you've got the systems, you've got the processes down. But what you're missing is you're missing this, this connection with me. So in the Son, we don't just have the gift on the cross. We don't just have the, redemp the, 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 the Redeemer. In the Son, we do indeed have Emmanuel, God with us. God himself, very God of very God. Connecting with man, becoming the ultimate gift for man. But it doesn't say everlasting God. It's not what the prophet Isaiah wrote. He wrote this everlasting father it it references identity identity he's given us a name we're we're part of his family I learned something interesting this, this, this week. Uh, I had the opportunity to talk to uh, my oldest brother. I, and it was the first time that I've talked to my oldest brother since 1979. Yeah. Um, when, I was, when I was in eighth grade, I was living with my grandparents in Long Grove, Iowa. And, uh, and I, had not, I had not talked to my brother. Uh, this is 1979. I had not talked to my brother since 1973. I hadn't seen my brother since my father passed away. And I really didn't know much about him. Uh, we shared the same father, not the, not the same mother. And, uh, and, and Jim was, he's, he's 18 years older than me. And so he was, you know, he was gone out of the house before I was ever born. 
well, didn't even live in our house, but he was, he was away from the family before I was born. The only thing I knew about him is that he was a hero in Vietnam. And so did, don't really ever remember seeing him around until my father died. And he was there at the funeral and got to see him. And, and so we had these pictures of him um, growing up and pictures of him from Vietnam. And, uh, and then, and then it, as quickly as he came into our life, poof, he was gone. And so uh, when I was in eighth grade, I'd heard rumors that my brother was living in New Orleans. And so I um, um, wrote to him. Well, I went, went, went to the library and uh, and. and and in our library, they, in, in, in Davenport, Iowa, they happened to have a phone book um, that had um, a, a New Orleans phone book. And, uh, and that was back when people used phone books. You guys remember those? Right? The yellow pages. Remember the yellow pages? Yeah. And uh, that's, that was an interesting time when things were in print. Right? And so that was, that was back when we wanted to go somewhere. We would pull out a map. Young people, I know that's confusing to you, but we used to... Google used to work on paper, and, uh, and so I, but anyway, I, I went and got his phone number out of the phone book and sent him a letter, okay, and that's something you send with a postage stamp, again, young people, I know that's confusing to you, uh, but I didn't text him, tweet him, email him, I sent him a letter, and he responded back and, and invited me to come and, and, and visit him, and so, um, and at that time, he was living in New Orleans and, and was highly successful, married to uh, the daughter of a, um, a, a, a wealthy gentleman in, in Louisiana. And, uh, and uh, I, I, let me tell you this, it was a little bit of culture shock for me. Because I was, at the time, I was living with my grandparents in a, in a 12 by 65 trailer, uh, living on food stamps. And, and my, my grandmother cleaned people's homes for a living. My grandfather had to retire early. Um, he worked in a meatpacking plant for Oscar Mayer. Yes, I have heard the stories of what really goes into Oscar Mayer hot dogs, and it truly is frightening, okay? Um, all beef does not mean all meat. Let me just say that. I'll leave it at that. Enjoy your lunch. My, um, my, uh, my brother invited me to come and, and visit him, and then after visiting him, he invited me to come and live with him. Truthfully, giving a young kid who had grown up in abject poverty, giving a young kid the opportunity of a lifetime. Enrolled me in a prestigious private school in New Orleans. Um, burned all my clothes and bought me some real clothes. And, um, and I, I was living, I went from living in poverty to living in wealth. Uh, but my mother asked me, Christmas that year, my mother begged me to come and, and, and move back with her. She talked about her failing health and, and wanted me to come and, and, and try again to live with her and my violently abusive stepfather. And so I reluctantly agreed, um, much to the frustration of my oldest brother. And he was like, I gave you the opportunity of a lifetime, you're going to throw it away, good luck. And, and hadn't heard from him since Christmas of 1979. Well, this, uh, this past week, he called the church uh, and had um, he had gone to the local library and looked at it. No, I'm sure he hadn't done that. But, but somehow he had researched and found me. This time he had found me and, uh, and wanted, to, um, wanted to connect with me. And so I had the, we ex, um, exchanged some voicemails. And then, uh, and then we finally, we connected earlier this week. Um, and it was, it was fascinating talking to him after um, 37 years. And, and to find out um, how... how um, different and yet how similar our paths have been but one of the things that he told me that I, I did not realize is this is I did not realize um, 
that we have a member of our family um, who was part of the Immortal 32 uh, who died at the Alamo. And actually he sent me a picture of this big plaque that's in Gonzales, Texas that lists um, this John E. Garvin. And, uh, and let me just mention, let me just share this with you. I looked at the names of those Immortal 32 and I read through those names and, uh, and most of the names didn't do anything for me, right? They were just names. But when I came to that John E. Garvin, that name, there was a sense of pride. There was a sense of identity. Uh, that my, my family was part of that historic moment. And, and not just part of that historic moment, but, but part of this profound act of bravery I was like that's all right that's that's those are my people that's my name that's what Jesus gives me he gives me name he gives me a sense of identity everlasting not God everlasting father I am I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm a, I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I, I can stand with my head held high, not in arrogance, but in confidence. And there's a difference between arrogance and confidence. I can walk with a smile on my face, a song in my heart, a swing in my step. Why? Because I know this, that the God who created me doesn't just, didn't just create me, he also redeemed me. He didn't just redeem me, he also loves me. He doesn't just love me, he wants to be connected to me. He wants to be engaged in my life. And so, and his name shall be called Wonderful, this gift of worship. And out of that worship, I can, I can live in the realm of wisdom because his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And, and, I, and, I, and I walk in that wisdom because I know that he will provide for me because he is Almighty God. But being Almighty God, he doesn't just look down on me with this towering presence. He's not this big bloodshot eyeball in the sky, lightning bolt in the hand, waiting for me to do something wrong. That way he can zap me. But no, he is everlasting Father. So in it, that expression that Jesus gives us when he says in Matthew 11, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. The idea of God, God Almighty, standing with his arms outstretched saying, come on home. Come on home. Come on home. It's in stark contrast to so much of religion. It's, it's in stark contrast to so many people's distorted experience with God. Where the enemy wants us convinced that God is watching us from a distance or that God wants to keep us at arm's reach. No, he's everlasting father. It makes perfect sense then that that list that we have in Isaiah 9, that it would end with this, 
Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. And his name shall be called Wonderful. What's the gift? Worship. His name shall be called Counselor. What's the gift? Wisdom. His name shall be called Almighty God. What's the gift? Everything you need. He is the God that provides. His name shall be called Everlasting Father. Identity. And his name shall be called Prince of Peace. Security. And in this crazy world where so often it's moving much quicker than we can grasp, appreciate, want, desire. At times we feel like we're holding on by the edge of our fingers. Here's what God says. I've got you. I've got you. And there's, there's amazing security. Peace. Jesus said this. He said, peace I give you. And, and not, not peace as the world gives. And, and here's... Here's the world's definition of peace. The world's def- definition, of pe- definition of peace is an absence of conflict. God's definition of peace is a contenting of the soul. And there's a big difference between absence of conflict and contenting of the soul. Because oftentimes, even when there's an absence of conflict, there's a war that wages within. We, in, uh, in recent history, we, we coined the term in post-World War II, we coined the term Cold War. And Cold War doesn't just happen among nations. Cold War happens in families and households. It doesn't just happen in families and households. It happens internally as well. Where the the carnal aspect of who we are does battle with the spiritual aspect of who we are. Where we have this internal tension and this internal turmoil. It's not uncommon It's not uncommon to lay our head on a pillow and even though our physical body is wrecked from the activity of the day that we can't get our mind to shut down and we can't get our heart to stop racing Because of the tension and the stress and the conflict that's, that's happening deep within. What I want to do and what I ought to do does battle with what I end up doing. 
Paul talked about this. He said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Boom. Conflict. And Jesus, Jesus said that's the most important place to have reconciliation, restoration, and peace. When when Jesus was about to complete the earthly phase of his ministry, he's there with his disciples, and they ask this question, Jesus, are you at this time going to overthrow the Roman oppressors and restore Israel to its rightful place? Jesus, are you going to bring are you finally going to bring peace to the land is the question that they asked. And Jesus' response was this. He says, that's not for you to worry about. In, 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 in essence, friend, here's what he said. It's, it's my objective to bring peace. But the, but the plane on which you're worried about peace is not the big issue. It's not the major issue. Because the reality is this. If I bring peace on the governmental level, if I bring peace on the philosophical level, if I bring peace on the relationship level, it does not provide the solution that you need. Because peace only works and peace is only sustained when peace comes at soul level. And see, that's what God is able to bring. And what he wants to bring is he wants to bring into your life in the midst of a world of chaos and, and, and understand and appreciate this, friend. You will always live in a world of chaos. Why? Because knowledge is increasing. Right? Sin is increasing. The world will continue to invent more ways of doing evil. But God has a wonderful way of bringing an unexplainable, Yet, an undeniable peace. That's what Paul, at the end of the, of the, the letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi, and, and, and this book of Philippians that God has given us in his word that speaks to us, that's, that's the reason why Paul would, would pin these words. And the peace of God, which transcends, or that is greater than all understanding, It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Dr. Seuss said this. Fahu foris, dahu doris. Welcome in the cold, dark night. Welcome Christmas, fahu ramas. Welcome Christmas, dahu damas. Welcome Christmas while we stand, 
heart to heart and hand in hand. See, Dr. Seuss was on to something. The world can get crazy and out of control. And even in things that are meant to honor God, we can lose perspective. But when we, when we step back and, and we forget about the, the parties and the presents, the trees and the decorations, We take a moment and we we reflect on this, this massive demonstration of love that Christmas is. Christ Mass. The celebration of Christ. The reflecting on Jesus. Is it possible that in all the busyness and all the craziness and all the stress and all the worry, that you just need to pause and let the reality of who Jesus is wash over you? Wonderful counselor, Almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.